making brands and sense of SA's entertainment industry. Business of Entertainment with Martin Myers on K-Talk. On K-Talk. Good evening and welcome to the Business of Entertainment with me, your host, Martin Myers. It's just past 9 p.m. on a Thursday night and I'm delighted you've tuned in. And I spoke last week at length about a wonderful lady who's working at the top of her game, Natasha Peterson. And we only got halfway through the conversation. So she's given up very kindly, left her husband and family to come back and see me again Thursday night in studio, except she's dressed up tonight. It says Paul Royals. Natasha, good evening. Thank you for coming back. The smile is still on. We must have done something right last week. <laughs> good evening. Good evening. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be back. Lots to talk about. Thank you. I thought last week was thrilling and I've got so many more questions because I did a deep dive during the week. You're now, what that says? Paul Royals. You're yes. involved in cricket. It yes. It says there, Betway SA20. You're Correct. Out, obviously, you're out in Paul. Correct. Event organizing, logistics, explained, please. And then we've got to talk. You've been in Saudi Arabia. You've done the Women's World Cup in um, Australia, New Zealand. You won a couple of awards. We're only here for 30 minutes. Oh, Get going, please. Okay, right. Paul okay. Royals, talk to me. Right. Currently, I am uh, playing a support role uh, with the Paul Royals franchise. Mm -hmm. And so based out in Paul, uh, you know, Pre, in the previous uh, version of, of, of the franchise tournament, I was involved with the Paul Rocks team. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I have a, a growing, developing uh, love of cricket. Mm -hmm. um, and I love being out in the Burland region. And, and Burland Park Stadium, I think, um, is one of the most magnificent. That view of, of Paul Rock and, and the Burland Mountains is awesome. And the Paul Royals are, you know, they're a good team. And they're playing some good cricket. So very exciting. So I arrive at the stadium. What do I see? What have you been working on in the background that the public don't see? Yet it's so critical to the brand and the event that they're putting out. I mean, there's cricket every three days or something like that. Yeah. Um, so... The, the franchise is responsible for um, a particular list of, of activities and, and stadium operations. The franchise then uh, facilitates getting things done with the venue stadium team. Um, and then, of course, you have the league, which is the, the Betway SA20 mm. league, and, and they have a list of stipulations. And so together between those three parties, you all work towards developing and, and delivering, you know, a phenomenal cricketing spectator experience. Um, and I think we've definitely gotten off to a really great start, bar some of the weather issues up in the north. Um, but, you know, it's, it's I think when, when the cricket teams play at, at Borland Park and at Newlands, what's lovely is that we almost have fans who who move between the two because it's a lovely day out to Paul and vice versa. You know, people out that way will take a drive down to Newlands for the day. Um, and so exciting times, um, you know, it's a great, it's a great tournament. Um, and T20 cricket is where all the action's at. Is it run with military precision? You were talking about it last week about the FIFA World Cup in, in Qatar where minute by minute, second by second, things are worked out. Is it the same level of technical brilliance 
here because there's a big sponsor involved and this might be the future of cricket going forward. That's a, an, a another debate, but the concession stands and the food and the seating and all of that, is it where it should be? So I think the, the, the thing to remember is that um, every stadium has its own unique features, right? And I think Sporting fans have an expectation now of getting value for their money from that experience. And I think that's why, you know, Rugby Sevens T20 cricket is so is so um, exciting for the fans. Number one, because it's fast-paced. Um, it, it's a shorter kind of attention span that's required. Um, but also what people are looking for is literally the chiyas. Um, and so they come to the stadiums earlier because there's now an expectation um, of what that two, three, four, five hour period at the stadium is going to include. And I think sport, particularly in South Africa now, has become a, very much a social experience, um, which is a great thing. It's a great thing because what, what it allows us to do um, is to make sport more accessible. You know, for, for the ones who are not that serious about um, a full-time kind of rugby experience or a test cricket match because it's just, you know, they don't enjoy that about the sport. Um, it's, it's a lovely way to bring new people in. It's a lovely way to entice youngsters to still attend sporting events. Um, and so, you know, th this is definitely something that is a growing trend, I think, what the spectators are experiencing through tournaments like this Betway SA20 cricket tournament and, and Rugby Sevens, for example, is that is that this is how events are hosted mm -hmm. um, internationally. What time, what time do you get to the stadium? If the game is at 5.30 in the afternoon, because that's what TV dictates, what yeah. time does your day start? So generally, uh, there's a two-hour lead period. So if, if the game kicks off or starts, if the first ball is bowled at 5.30, gates would generally open two hours before that. Uh, two hours before that, we would start with readiness checks of all areas. Um, and another two hours before that, we'd maybe just have a quick status meeting with all stakeholders. Um, how, many, how many people on your team that you... Um, currently on our uh, franchise operations support team, there's five of us, um, but it's also, you know, staggered and so on. And different people are taking care of different things. And then you have um, the venue management and operations team who obviously know what they're doing. It's their venue. It's their stadium. Um, and they generally, with all other tournaments that are taking place there, are very good at what they do um, and have a particular skill set around managing their facilities. Um, and then you obviously get the, the league team and the franchise teams um, and each of them have their mandates about what it is that they want to get out of these tournaments, you know. So for obviously the Paul Royals franchise, it's about um, building the brand because, you know, the sister organization is the the Royals in the IPL. And, mm. so, and so I think... It's a beautiful kind of opportunity to integrate and to and to learn from how tournaments elsewhere are being built and then adapting that to the audience, which is predominantly South African, you know, um, and, and it's great. I mean, it, it's great for the sport and it's great that the facilities are being used in this way. If you're just joining, it's the business of entertainment with me, Martin Myers, every Thursday night. Just past 9 p.m., we're chatting to Natasha Peterson, event organizer, logistics manager, 
Her CV is extraordinary on global events. We're going to leave Paul. Prior to Christmas, you were running around Saudi, Saudi Arabia, not looking for an oil field. <laughs> There's enough of those. Um, World Cup, but the, um, what is it? The FIFA Club World Cup. Club, Club World Cup. Yes. So Pep Guardiola, you're on speed dial, I presume. Oh, what, what, what was that a like? wonderful experience. I mean, I had done a little bit of work with um, the Man City team some years ago in Abu Dhabi, just mm. an activation of sorts. Um, and so to see them live in you know in the stadium was was magnificent um i think the level of the competition was was wonderful um it was my first journey to saudi so so what's that was like? incredible be um, honest what's it like it's beautiful so i i was based in jeddah because mm -hmm. the two stadiums were in jeddah um it's beautiful it it's um i think again my my work in abu dhabi and dubai and then in qatar prepared me for how I maybe needed to adapt and be open to certain things. Um, it's still quite uh, a conservative environment, but when you are in an event space, um, it's quite sociable, actually. They're lovely people. I think that what is, what is visible um, is that there is change. There is change and, and a little bit of opening up of thinking and how they operate to welcome an international audience, but also to to be more welcoming of an international workforce. You know, people like me who mm -hmm. then come in for a certain period of time. And I was there, I think, for six weeks um, and hit the ground running in terms of in terms of uh, stadium readiness for, for infotainment and sport presentation teams. Um, and so it was lovely to work with the the, st the teams at both stadiums, um, and and my specific role on that was the infotainment technical manager, which was my role that I had had in in New Zealand and Australia, um, and it was also one of the first um, tournaments or big projects where there was an integrated audience fully in the stadium. So previously, um, men were sitting on certain levels of the stadium and women and, and children and their families and, and single girls would sit on another level. And so to see that full integration, I think what's lovely about the phase where I'm at now is, is that I can now for myself kind of dispel certain myths, you know, because often countries or cities are painted with a certain brush and it's, it's often misinformation or, or it's, it's people are not being given credit for the progress actually that they're making, and and again the progress is on whose time, you know. Is it is it difficult working in a place like Saudi Arabia? I, I say that because I had a dear friend of mine, and I don't want to mention his name, was in very closely involved with the Qatari bid. Was mm. at the hotel when they presented their final documents, and he said to me, "It's almost like we've got a check." And this can make all problems go away. You understand the Saudi wealth is so enormous that if there are any problems, we'll just pay to get it fixed. But it needs to be fixed at a world-class level and very quickly. Yes. Is, is that in your back of your mind when you're speaking to people working there, as I use in inverted commas, the locals who live there? Yeah. Because you're coming in with our little rands and cents and mm. they're working with a currency that's enormous and a value. And money that's enormous. Yeah, I think 
um, you know, there's the old conversation that you and I have had previously of of uh, build it and they will come. I think what they are not being given credit for is that they demand a level of excellence, right? So if you're choosing to go and work there, you have to go with that mindset. And so if there are issues or barriers or, or challenges, it's about adapting how you respond to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and yes, it is it is quite harsh because, you know, for example, with Saudi, they've now just won the bid to host the 2034 FIFA World Cup. So just imagine the journey they need to take between now and then to successfully welcome millions of fans, you know, um, and, and the expectation of those fans who will come to, to their country. Um, and, and yes, it, it can be tough because, because I don't think it's just about the money. It's about them representing their country in a certain way to the world. And so when you work on a project there, you're helping them build that question yes a european fan a north american fan as i like to call it a first world fan with serious cash yeah is his expectation completely different to a south african fan who has frankly very little money to pay for that uber experience that a european fan would want to see that difference that differentiation? I think yes and no. I think it depends on, number one, the sporting code. And number Let's take football. Two, and, and, and I think with football, what people love about being in a football stadium is is the vibe and the chiss. I don't necessarily think that people who have access to money or have money are always going for the hospitality, you know, the best of the best of the best of. I, th- I think it's about... People want to touch and feel that same energy of the people, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And what was interesting at the FIFA Club World Cup, as you can imagine, is that there were people who traveled to support those teams. But, for example, with the Manchester City games, um, and they were were sold out, of course, as was to be expected. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing of the fan profile was that many of the Manchester City fans who were present in the stadium actually flew in from Qatar and from the UAE. So it's a different profile from what you would see when you're watching, for example, you know, a Premier League match. Um, And so that was interesting. And we had to adapt as each game went along with, with, you know, the kind of engagement activities that the MCs and the announcers do with the crowds and the fans. What activities were around the the stadium before we moved to Australia, New Zealand and the Women's World Cup? What... What type of entertainment? Is the DJs? Are there local bands? Did you fly in international acts? Yeah, so so for the opening ceremony we had Buster Rhymes. Oh okay. <laughs> and for the <laughs> not cheap. <laughs> um and we had a Swedish House Mafia. Okay. <laughs> and for the closing ceremony we had David Guetta and BB Rexa. Um Lovely. Yeah, I mean that was that was very That's cool. Proper. Of That's course, proper. I was standing there fangirling when <laughs> yeah. Buster Rhymes came onto the stage, yeah. you know. Um, but um, generally, there is a blueprint. Let me call it a bl- blueprint mm. or a template. Generally, for for specifically FIFA events, you know, other sporting federations have a similar kind of scenario where there is what is called a brand activation area, um, and what we could. Um, maybe refer to as the fan walk. 
So many people who are in Cape Town, for example, know that when there's a big thing happening at the stadium, whether it's rugby and so on, that then the fan walk is activated and you will have roaming entertainment and food and beverages on the route and so on. And so it's a similar thing that happens there is that generally there is an area um, at the start of what I would call the event footprint Mm. that kind of entices people to come into the space as early as possible. And then to kind of build up that spirit, and that's literally what it is, Mm. it's it's to build the chias before they then actually take their seats and go into the stands. Um, And it's a wonderful experience. It's a very colorful experience. And I definitely think it's, um, you know, we're definitely doing similar things here um, in South Africa for some of the events, and that's great. Stunning. Can we move to Australia, please? I've got 101 questions and we're running out of time. It's just past 20 past nine on a Thursday night and you're listening to Natasha Peterson and myself, Martin Myers, on the business of entertainment. And we're now going to chat about Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. That was a a spin-off, am I right, from what you did at the Men's World Cup? You then got invited to... Correct. Correct, yes. Work there. Um, And... So between those two, I was at home and I worked on the ICC T20 Women's World Cup mm. with the Cricket Boerland um, um, team. And then I was invited and I was based in Auckland, New Zealand, but I worked across all 10 stadiums, four of which were in New Zealand and six in Australia. Mm. Um, I think I was on a plane potentially every four days flying. Are you turning left? Or, are you city? turning left or turning right? I, I don't know anymore. I mean, <laughs> that was that was hair raising, and and I think um, what a lot of people don't realize is that every time you leave Australia to go to New Zealand or vice versa, it's an international flight. So there's all that rigmarole in the airports and the mm-hmm. two hours before, and so on. And then there's also all the time differences, mm-hmm. which is a little bit crazy, you know, from Adelaide to Auckland or vice versa. Um, And then there is also the climate change, which is completely different. Australia was showing off almost her best summer and New Zealand was a little bit more tragic. I was cold. I was wearing a jacket. I was wearing earmuffs. It was wet and rainy, but magnificently beautiful. And of course, the reason we were all there was to kind of help make history with this FIFA Women's World Cup. It was. Did it exceed the expectations in the end? It exceeded expectation from day one. Mm. And I think a part of that is a testimony, uh, you know, it's a testament to actually the athletes, all those football players. Um, when, you, when you're when you watching someone shedding tears while they're singing that national anthem, and I think this is true for many other sporting codes, but particularly for this Women's World Cup, it was, you know, a lot of them were young girls who had this dream And so to be able to wear that jersey for their country, for this tournament, it we all felt it. And I think particularly as women working on this tournament, knowing that we had, you know, a little hand in helping to bring this to life, um, it was magnificent. Um, And the amount of kids in the stadiums and the young girls, um, you know, often I think with with women's sporting teams I mean we even see it here in South Africa is if you're an all girls team if you're a woman's team generally your first fans are your family Mm -hmm. and then you know there's 10 people watching you on the side of a cricket field for example or there's 30 people 
on the side of the football pitch, but it's actually everybody's family members or boyfriends or girlfriends or cousins or uncles or whatever it is. And so the emotion, I think, that those athletes also had to deal with and navigate for themselves because I felt overwhelmed and I was just standing on the side of the field. Mm. For them to be playing, I think, was it was it was incredible. And I think credit to the two hosting nations, I think they they put an emphasis on the right things. And I think a conversation that you and I have again had a few times is about preparing athletes for how to engage and interact with the media is an important thing. And I think that's one of the aspects that really it worked well because number one, they were heartfelt when when they were engaging with the media, but they also were were empowered a little bit before that so that, you know, you're saying the things to represent your, yourself well. It was incredible. You won an award. I alluded to it on our intro earlier this evening, the G Sports Award. Meaningful, important, important for the next generation of oh. young Natasha Petersons coming through. Yeah. I pray mean, I, pray I, tell, please. I just get emotional even thinking about it now. So um, just a little backstory. So Kaz Naidu started the G Sport uh, Trust, which is G Sport stands for Girls in Sport. She started this 18 years ago. And in year one, I think that there were five categories of nominations. In 2023, there were 20 categories with more than 500 nominations. Stunning. And I was one of those. And then on the night, I won the Telcom Woman of the Year category um, as a non-athlete, as a person who works behind the scenes. It it was incredible. There's a photograph of me, um, I, I think, taking the, the, the trophy from If I could just interrupt Bram. and explain to the listeners, I can see you tearing up yeah, talking about it now. Yeah, deeply it, emotional? Deeply emotional. I think because um, I was allowed to bring one guest with me. And I'd obviously just arrived home from mm. Australia and New Zealand after having been away for three and a half months. And I had spoken to my husband and I had spoken to Kaz. And I, Tess, basically, my daughter went with me. And I think it was more emotional because she was with me in the audience. And I wanted her to be able to share in that experience with me because she's also in the industry. And so she's also forging her own path. Um, but I think at some point I was standing with my hand like almost over my heart. And it was because I was trying to mentally say to myself, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. Because I had words that I wanted to share, you know. And and there weren't very many words. But of course, you know, the, the old adage of they will play the music if you are talking too long. Happened to me that night. Mm. And of course, then it was funny afterwards. Mm. But in the moment, I was just, you know what, um, if I can share just w one of the, the, the lines that I had said in my speech, and that was my, my challenge to young people is to be bolder than we were and be braver than we are, resting in the knowledge that we will catch you if you fall or raise you up when you win. Um, you're winning well it's a path to winning I think success is different you know the, the definition of success is different for everyone and I am a work in progress what do you want for your daughter oh I want her and other young women in the industry to not have to 
be faced with some of the challenges that I had to be faced with. Um, because there were many times when I could have given up. You know, when people call you out on the basis of color or or education um, or social standing or, oh my God, you're from South Africa. Stop it. Stop it, actually. There are some phenomenal Saffirs in the world doing incredible things. Um, I've had a list of them on this show. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Mega and I, people. And, I, and, and you are one of them. So please, oh, take, I appreciate take that that. Accolade. I, I appreciate that. that. But, uh, but I think there's still a lot that I want to do. And I think that's also part of my story is that, you know, I've had an incredibly, I don't even know that successful begins to really describe what the periods of 2022, 23 have been and, and the start of 2024 now. But I think that there's, there, there's a few things that I just want to kind of build in 2024 and beyond is... Um, you Tell know. us, what do you want to build? So so I've I've been, since winning the award, I mean, you know, I, I, I enjoy talking to the media and sharing my story. And so I think um, the G-Sport Trust and the work that, that they're doing has allowed me to now kind of solidify my voice a little bit. Um, and so I've been invited to do speaking engagements with people to talk about my World Cup experience and just my my journey in the industry. Um, and I'd like to build on that going forward. Um, I, I love engaging with young people and, you know, having an opportunity to interact with them and help upskill and empower them um, and share my stories so that hopefully it inspires them to do things maybe a little bit differently and think outside of the box and think in a non-traditional way. Um, and, and to be able to just let parents know that it's okay for your kids to step off off that yellow brick road and not be a lawyer or something like that. Yeah, because the world the world is is a creative it, it's a creative whiteboard. And you just have to, you know, the path can be round, straight, curved, wavy, whatever it is, but um there is a certain level of fulfillment that I feel that that I don't think I can even adequately explain about what my journey's been like. Do you have a mantra that you live by? I mean, Dr. Trevor Jones, who's turning 75 this year, yet to be honored by the city of Cape Town, might I add, um, lives by the, the motto, prepare or prepare to fail. What do you have? For me, I think it's about, um, it's about enjoying the in-between moments. Because very often we set ourselves goals and targets. Um, and we, we focus so keenly on, on the three or 10 or 100 steps to get there that we forget that actually joy can be found in those, in those, in those intermediary moments, you know. Um, because if we forget that, what happens when we achieve the goals? We've had no joy. We've had, we've had no opportunity to just pause and go, wow, actually, I did okay, mm -hmm. you know, and I am okay to take the next steps. Mm. So enjoy the in-between moments because life is filled with them. Where to from now? We're at the beginning of the year, the 11 months left. There's a lot to do. Oh, there's a lot to do. Um, there's a lot to do. There, this is, uh, I think the next, the next years, there are, you know, sporting events are exploding all over the globe. It's, um, we're in a in a fantastic period of growth. Um, I think South Africa is in a great space in terms of events now, kind of coming back, and 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 we're back to being bold and bright. And the weather gods in Cape Town, particularly, have been wonderful. So, 
We'll see where the next plane takes me to, but I'm very excited for what's to come. Um, but not forgetting that, you know, I am a Cape Townian girl. Uh, this is still my home. Um, but you're working globally. I'm working globally, and, and I hope to be able to share my global experiences with my fellow South Africans in some way or another. Your husband, incredibly supportive. Very special, am I right? Correct, yeah. Yeah, Robin's a great guy. Um, I have two wonderful kids. Ross now finds himself in the sports industry as well. He's starting that journey. So um, we are a family. I think that, um, you know, when you, when you ask your kids, should I go? Because I still do that. I mean, I'm not sure what people think I do when I get these invitations to join projects. But we have a family meeting and we have a discussion. Everyone's allowed to have an opinion. And then based on their feedback to me is, you know, but when your son turns around and says to your mom, you have to go to Australia and New Zealand, why are you even asking us? So, so it I realized it's an incredible thing to, to, to go on these adventures with the blessing and love and support of my family and my friends. I wouldn't do it if, if I didn't have that. It's been a thrilling two weeks having you here. The doors always open more adventures in December. We want to hear about them. But the door's always open from my producer, Barry Marie, and myself. Just going on to 9.30 on the business of entertainment, Natasha Peterson, it's been thrilling and a great joy. Thank you for coming to give us pearls of wisdom that hopefully inspire the next generation of young ladies coming through. The final word is yours. Thank you. Thank you for allowing me to share a little bit of the chapters of, of what is my life. Um, and I love that you are, are developing this platform in the manner that you are. I mean, I, I feel pretty honored to be one of your guests. Um, I've certainly listened to some of the other podcasts. And I think what's great about it is information sharing and that there are so many similar threads. It doesn't matter whether you're a book editor, whether you're a CEO of a company. Often there are, there are so many um, similar pivotal m moments in those lived experiences um, if only the young people would listen. <laughs> Thank you for the nuggets. And on that beautiful note from Natasha Peterson and myself and my producer, Barry Marie, we'll see you next Thursday night on the Business of Entertainment. Thank you and good night. Making brands and sense of SA's entertainment industry. Business of Entertainment with Martin Myers on K-Talk. On K-Talk.